Hi, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, I'd love to thank several sponsors. I'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network first. You can find all their stuff at bgn.fm. They're responsible for getting many great USL podcasts out, so please give them a look. Also go to firebirdsoccer.net. This is the new website for our former Firebird Rising coverage, so you can find all sorts of great coverage for Phoenix Rising FC and other soccer-related news in the state of Arizona, all at firebirdsoccer.net. And lastly, we would like to thank Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is a uh, sponsor for, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, all sorts of other stuff. So go to Roughneck Scarves and find a scarf today. And now let's get on to the show. Hello, this is Dominic with the Rising as One podcast, and I'm joined today by Jeff and Kyle. But just want to give a shout out to sponsors, the Arizona Sports Complex. The Rising as One podcast is presented by the Arizona Sports Complex. The Arizona Sports Complex is Arizona's premier indoor soccer facility on the southwest corner of 35th Avenue and Pinnacle Peak Road in Glendale. With newly installed air conditioning, the Arizona Sports Complex is home to youth and adult soccer year-round. Visit ArizonaSportsComplex.com for more information, and be sure to tell them the Rising as One podcast sent you for a discount. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good, Dominic. Uh, definitely a, a crazy week out there, but a point's point. We'll take it, and we'll move forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing well. <laughs> it was... It was an exciting game till the end, you know, at least, it, it, you know, it kind of took a while to, to get it going, I feel like, but, you know, I think we were, we were rewarded with some excitement, so. Definitely. Um, and Jeff, it's, it's my understanding that you, you had, uh, you could not make the game last. Yeah, I had a, a little family matter to attend to, uh last night so uh, that kind of took a little bit of precedence but uh was able to at least get to see about the last 25 to 30 minutes of the match so uh definitely got to see the the most exciting part of the evening but uh you know <coughs> listening to the broadcast and listening to mike watts call what you know some of the things that he called uh definitely sound like uh, uh some some interesting moments throughout the night uh last night Yeah, interesting is a good way to put it. That match really shot out of a cannon those last 25, 30 minutes. Um, do we want to get into it? Yeah, let's let's get into this. A um, couple of changes to the lineup, uh, you know, for this game. Obviously, the you know the biggest one was Didier Drogba uh, unable to play due to a lower body injury, so uh, he was not in the lineup. Uh, the other interesting change was. Uh, 
seeing the introduction of uh, James Musa for the first time this season. Uh, we, you know, we had been asking a couple weeks ago where he was and wondering, uh, you know, why he hadn't seen the starting lineup. But uh, good to see him make an appearance uh, last night, uh, putting uh, putting him into Colin Fernandez's spot in the lineup. Uh, you know, same back four of Devonte Debose, uh, Amadou Dia, Duigi uh, Mala, and Mike Defont. Uh, with uh, Kevon Lambert, you know, playing his normal position with with James Musa alongside, and then you had uh, a, a middle three of Solomon Asante, Gladson Awako, Billy Forbes, with Chris Cortez being the guy up top in the four-two-three-one formation. Obviously, a, a fairly slow first half, you know, by most standards. Even even the you know even Mike Watts talking about how the game started out so slow. Uh, you know, you really didn't see your first shot on goal, you know, or even even an attempt on goal until the 16th minute when Carlton Belmar uh, hit a shot that got, that was blocked from the outside. Uh, Phoenix Rising get gets its first shot on goal in the 20th minute. Uh, James Musa from outside the box uh, saved by uh, Adrian Zendejas, who was uh, sent down from uh, sent down from uh, Sporting KC for this game to get some time in. Um, and you saw uh, Parker Maher in the 24th minute get a shot on goal. It was too high over the top. Uh, Mike Defont then a couple minutes later uh, gets a shot saved by Zendejas. Uh, Billy Forbes then turns around a minute later and, and puts a shot too high over the top on a set piece. Um, Carlton Belmar gets another attempt in the 32nd minute that gets blocked outside the box. Uh, a couple more attempts from Phoenix Rising towards the end of the first half. Chris Cortez in the 40th, Billy Forbes in the 42nd and 44th minutes, uh, which were both missed. You know, so, you know, take it into the half at, at, at nil-nil. I mean, obviously we know Swope is a, is a tough team, but, you know, 75-25% uh, uh possession in favor of Swope, you know, after the first half and, you know, you're really starting to wonder how this game was going to go if, if, if that was the way that, that this game was going to be controlled was mostly by Swope Park Rangers holding onto the ball. Yeah, that, that, that first half, I think, played exactly into Swope's hands. Um, I know that they like to play a possession-based game. I know they play the same style that Sporting KC does up in MLS. And the what, what concerned me a little bit is that we weren't even pressing as much as we could have. And then when we did have the ball, we weren't able to string passes together enough. It felt like there was, you know, sometimes this happens where the passing's just a little bit off. The guys aren't communicating the best. And, you know, that can be tough. I mean, Musa was making his debut with a lot of new teammates. Um... And there, Cortez was coming back into the starting lineup. But you'd like to see better passing when we do have the ball because we really were just, again, trying a lot of long balls and then just missing some passes that we really could have made. And that's what allowed them to rack those numbers up so high as opposed to it being 65-35, a little bit more reasonable. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right, Dominic. It was, it was just a bunch of miss, miss chances and miss passes. It seems like in that first half, you know, it was, it was a little frustrating to watch. But it, I think 
being that it was still zero zero at halftime, you know, and we weren't in a hole, we still had a great opportunity. So that was that was a positive we could take from the first half. And I would say one other one is I think we had the best chances of the first half, which is weird. You would think that all that possession they would be bossing the play, but really the best chances came that 26th minute when there was that goal mouth scramble. We got the set piece. Um, Defont was able to get his foot in there, but their keeper saved it. Zendejas. And then Billy Forbes had a chance where if he can keep that ball down, it's in the net. And then a few minutes later, he had another great chance where he cut it onto his right foot. Chance to go for the top right corner, and he just skied it a little bit. But um, I thought we created some really good chances and uh, was feeling pretty hopeful going into that second half. So let's move into the uh, second half of action here. And, uh, you know, again, a, a kind of a, a slow start to the second half. I mean, only one attempt really in the first 15 minutes, and that came off the foot of uh, Rodrigo Saravia from Swope Park Rangers, who had a shot blocked from outside the box. Um, Really didn't get into anything until about the 60th minute, you know, when when Swope had a couple of chances. Saravia again had a right-footed shot out from outside the box blocked, and then followed up by Amir Didik, who had a header in the inside the box, which Carl Wazinski made the save on, um, and then turned around again another minute later. Felipe Hernandez had a right-footed shot that missed to the left-hand side. At that point, you bring in the introduction of of Jason Johnson to the game uh, for Gladson Awako. And before we move on here, guys, let's let's talk about Awako for a second. And tell, tell me if I'm wrong here at this point, but this seems like the second or third game now in a row that he really has struggled to find his his positioning or, or his niche on the pitch right now. It just... He either seems like he's out of position or he just doesn't seem like he's he's really getting into the flow of the game. I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, Jeff, it's it's been kind of interesting and I'm I'm actually looking at his stats from last night and he had he had thirty one touches and seventeen passes with a passing accuracy of ninety four percent. But like you said, he kinda of just gets lost in that midfield and Though he may be completing most of his passes, they haven't been many key passes or passes that have created opportunity for us. So yeah, it's it's kind of been been the consistency that we've seen over the past couple games, and I wonder if if we're going to see a change in his play or if we see a change in who's playing in that position. So it'll be in- interesting to see what where we go from here. I, I I maybe wouldn't be that critical of him. I think he's a fine starting USL player I think he's a fine player in general and like you were saying uh, Kyle he does complete a lot of passes and actually did assist a couple chances that led to shots Uh, neither was too threatening but I mean he has some value I mean he almost scored a nice goal a couple weeks ago against uh, Monarchs but I think no one here is okay with fine no one involved with Phoenix Rising just wants us to be a fine team just okay, which is what we are right now. And Johnston gives you the opportunity to be better. We have players on the bench that have a higher ceiling, and I don't understand why Iwako is getting the start. Because 
as we go on for the rest of this match, Johnson immediately makes an impact, immediately brings some offense. And I think there are a bunch of guys you could put in a Waco's place. Vega, uh, you could argue even Rigi. Uh, these kinds of guys can come in and make a bigger impact offensively and still not give much away defensively. So I, it's just... It, it is it is confusing, and the only the only speculation I could I could say on this is Owako is one of, of uh, Coach Carter owns guys from TP Mazembe, and he's a guy that he's very comfortable with in the starting lineup. I think Owako was in their starting lineup when they won African Champions League back in 2014. So I don't know. Maybe he feels comfortable with Owako starting. Um, most matches and then bringing Johnson as an offensive spark but tactically that just feels too negative yeah I, I hear you I hear you there when it comes to that so but like you said you know you bring Johnson into the game and he makes an immediate impact uh, getting you know helping get rising on the board first uh, gets that ball out on the on the side ball gets into uh, Solomon Asante who lays it off for Billy Forbes and just a nice little cheeky uh, uh, touch to the bottom corner and Zendejas has no chance at it and it's one nothing right away you know Phoenix rising and you know great great to see how quickly he can come into a game and to see Solomon Asante I mean we know Asante's definitely got the speed but to see him move from that left hand side of the park move into the center and to be able to do what he did so quickly I mean, I I thought that you know that's a that's a great you know play for someone transitioning right away into a different position. You figure it would take a couple of minutes for for somebody you know to to get used to where he's playing on the on the pitch, but for him to be able to slide in right there right away and to do that, I mean, it gives you confidence that you know you can put him anywhere in the park and and be okay and know that he's going to make the plays that are necessary to you know to go forward. Yeah, Jeff. I, I I was thinking the same thing. You know, when when we when I saw that Awako was coming off and Johnson was coming on, I was thinking, okay, so Sante must be slotting into the middle because we've seen from him before. And I mean, obviously, he showed it last night that he has the ability to be that playmaker in that kind of number ten role. So to see him just be able to slot in there and, like you said, instantly make an impact. You know, that's that's I think that's great, and that shows what kind of depth we have and what kind of quality player Asante is. Yeah, well worked goal right there. Um, like you were saying, John thought a walk. And it was the kind of passing move that we didn't see enough last night's match and we haven't seen enough early in the season where it's multiple passes, multiple people linking up. You slide those balls, first Johnson to Asante, and then Asante to the far post for Forbes to tap in. And that's a good feeling for Forbes because he was our best offensive player yesterday. He deserved a goal from that match. The chances he had in the first half with those chances and really the only consistent threat moving forward for us. We could play long balls up for him and he could chase him down and he was doing a very good job creating corner kicks, creating great crosses with those opportunities. So I'm happy that Billy Forbes was able to score a goal because I don't think he had scored for us all season until this match. No, not and he had not. It was his first of the year, so, um, so so you get the one nothing lead, but 
unfortunately, right away, uh, Swope Park Rangers answers, and this is just the way they, they are. They know how to hit you quickly. Um, again, another conceded set piece from this club. We've talked about the struggles on set pieces, and, and, and it you know, kind of caught us again. Uh, <coughs> Felipe Hernandez with the corner. Uh, to the back post. Carlton Belmar is waiting there at the back post. Unfortunately, uh, Kevon Lambert not quick enough to get over to mark him. Jason Johnson tries to move over and tries to mark him, but obviously he's coming from a further distance than where Lambert was. Uh, Carl Wazinski tries to come out and punch it, kind of misplayed the punch a little bit. And obviously, you know, he, you know there's nobody at the back post and so that's an obviously quick easy one you know for Swope to get right back in the game at 1-1 so you know so now you're thinking okay we're back in the same situation again where we're 1-1 okay we're you know we're, we're fighting for that point again Jason Johnson interjects himself again in the 74th minute uh, missing a header from the from the center of the box uh, Carlton Belmar gets a shot on goal in the 76th. It's, it's saved uh, by Carl Wazinski. And then obviously, you know, more substitutions. Kevon Frader comes in for the first time this year, replacing Chris Cortez, which I thought was a good move at the time because Chris, Chris kind of seemed to look like he was struggling a little bit. Colin Fernandez comes in, replacing James Musa. And then, guys, the, the, the play of the game pretty much – you know, Carlton Belmar gets the ball, center of the park, 88th minute. Uh, again, Kevon Lambert not quick enough to the play. And when Carlton Belmar gets a step, uh, I don't know that there's too many people that can stop him. Obviously, Colin Fernandez tried to stop him and miss the tackle. Mike DeFont tried to tackle and miss the tackle. Duigi Mala is way too far away to Belmar's left that he has no chance of getting over. Carl Wazinski's got to try to come out and make himself big. Uh, unfortunately, not quite big enough. Carlton Belmar slots it uh, lower left-hand corner past Wazinski, and it's a 2-1 game, basically under two minutes left. And obviously, you know, Belmar celebrates in front of the Red Fury, which was kind of a kind of not, not the smartest of things to do. But, uh, you know, Gives them a two-one lead, and you're thinking, you know, there there goes the one point, and now we're going to lose three. Thankfully, the game didn't end at that moment, but uh, yeah, pretty pretty rough defending on that goal, and you know, granted, nice finish. I have to say, again, more than anyone else, that's Kevon Lambert's fault because he was standing closest to the ball when. Belmar makes that first in and Lambert if he was if he had like any momentum going towards that ball would have been able to get there with his long legs before Belmar and instead he was just jogging and that allowed Belmar to get there first and turn it up field and now he has a full head of steam moving forward on goal and that's you know it's Andes and Defont to make successful challenges against a guy like Carlton Delmar with a full head of steam. You know, you need to stop that attack before it even gets going. And Lambert was in the right position. He just did not have any legs to go there. And it's it's kind of appalling. 
Yeah, you, you're totally right, Dominic. I mean, I think I think we kind of expect more from Kevon Lambert in that situation. You know, I mean, he is young, yes, but but from what we've seen from him over the past two seasons, I mean, he's been a pretty consistent player in that role and been able to step up and kind of shut plays down before they can develop. And the fact that he didn't there, I think it caught the rest of our defense kind of sleeping. And, you know, I mean, a player like Belmar, he's going to take that opportunity. And unfortunately, Waz wasn't able to make himself big enough to stop it. So, yeah, it was his celebration was kind of... Uh, you know, it was kind of frustrating, but like you said, luckily the game wasn't over right then. Yeah, definitely. The game was not over at that point. Um, and this is, you know, this is the same resolve that we have seen time and time again out of, you know, out of Phoenix Rising. You know, get right back on the front foot and, and push forward, and push forward they did. Uh, Billy Forbes going to switch from the left to the right, uh, makes a nice play, gets it into the middle for uh, Solomon Asante, who is able to kind of guide that ball right through a couple of uh, Swope Park Ranger defenders and, and kind of caught Adrian Zendejas a little bit flat-footed and uh, was able to put it in the bottom left-hand corner of the net. And 2-2 got it right back right away. And, you know, what a what a great goal by, by Asante, who picks up his fourth of the year and now leads the team in scoring uh, on the season. Um, and then, unfortunately, comes the bad play of the game. Uh, Kavon Lambert makes a really bad tackle in the 92nd minute uh, on Rodrigo Saravia and uh, unfortunately picks up a second yellow card. Uh, you know, good call. It, w- it was the right call to make, you know, on the yellow card. But, <coughs> excuse me, listening to, you know, Mike Watts on the broadcast, he didn't believe that... Uh, that the first foul on Lambert in the eighth minute was deserving of a was a deserving of a yellow card at that point, and I thought it was also interesting that that Watts really was talking about the inconsistency of of the center referee uh, Victor Rojas all night long, and the, and and it seems like you know from from understanding how Watts was calling it last night that apparently Rojas is one of those types of officials that that. I guess is is really not one of the I'm sorry Victor Rivas I'm sorry um, was really one is really one of those types of officials that just never really has control of a match and if that's the case you know I guess it's it should be on pro referees at this point to really start monitoring how how he's how he's doing in these levels of matches so you know, it really kind of kind of interesting that that Watts would make that comment, and, and I know Mike has seen a lot of matches, so I mean that's that's why I think we can trust Mike. You know, when he's talking about you know those types of issues. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree too. It was very inconsistent refing. Um, there were, I think, there was one um, challenge that we had in the first half where I was stunned to not even see a card come out i don't remember which minute or who it was uh, um, where it was just called a foul and it looked like pretty bad like it was at least a yellow card uh, um but then you'd see you'd see a challenge like that not get carded and then a very soft one relatively speaking get a yellow i mean the the refing did seem inconsistent all match and 
if, if anything, it might have helped us in a couple situations. Uh, right after that red card was given to Kavan, Luigi Mala uh, was pretty upset, and he punched the ball down to the ground and away from the Swope Park Rangers players. That's got to be a yellow card. It's a delay of game. You're, you're showing up the ref, basically. But I think it goes to your point of him not having control of the match. Rojas not having control of the match. There were several times players on both teams were just kicking the ball away, which by the letter of the law, that's a yellow card every time. And I don't think one of those, maybe one of those was called as a yellow card. And so then you get these complaints about inconsistency and how it affects both teams. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's something that we kind of saw early on, like you said. And, you know, it's to have a referee with that kind of maybe not reputation, but just, you know, it's something that we consistently see from him. It's it's frustrating as a fan. And, yeah, it, maybe it is something that pro referees need to look into because especially in such a high-profile game, this was probably the biggest game in the Western Conference this week to have inconsistent refereeing that you know that's not good for either team or the league itself so that's that's definitely something that you don't want to see continue yeah i mean eight eight cards eight cards shown by victor rivas in the match you know obviously uh four four to swope park rangers four to phoenix rising obviously with the fourth one being the being the red card that he showed but you know again like you said you know you would think knowing the level of match that, that pro referees would take the effort and look and you know put one of your better you know your better crews out there to to take care of this match and and unfortunately did not happen you know because you you see that a lot in MLS play where they will take their top referees and make sure they are positioned in the you know in the proper locations where they need to be you know but you know again this is USL and this is the second division and so you know you're gonna you're gonna see some of that inconsistency throughout uh, the season, no matter no matter where you're at. But fortunately enough, you know, not much was was made after the you know the the red card was shown in the 92nd. Three more you know five more minutes of play. Uh, you know, uh, Saravia had a chance in the 94th that missed to the left. Uh, Phoenix Rising had gotten the ball down, you know, pretty much to the end line. Right at the end of the match, you thought that maybe there was going to be a late throw to try to, to to try to get something in the box, kind of pinballed around, but that didn't happen. They ended up just throwing it in short. Ref blows the whistle, ends up a 2-2 draw. Uh, hats off to you, Kyle, for, for calling it right, for calling the 2-2 draw. Um, <laughs> like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll take a point out of this and we'll move forward. Yeah, a 2-2 draw was... It was something that I, I kind of expected, you know, Swope's, Swope's a great team, and, you know, Phoenix, we haven't been, I mean, we've been playing well, I just didn't think that we'd be able to maybe pull out a win, and I mean, we saw, you know, we had to actually fight our way back to, to pull out a draw, but I think it's still, you know, to be able to get a point, you know, it's it's some it's a valuable point, and we'll take it, but we definitely need to see to see some improvements maybe in the passing and in the in the finishing but overall i think that it could have been it could have been worse a loss really would have hurt to lose it late so just to see just to see the resolve of the guys to come back and get that goal for the draw you know that was that was i think a great great deserved result for phoenix rising 
yeah, it is good to see them respond after falling behind 2-1. And I mean, my goodness, where would we be without Billy Forbes and Solomon Asante? Um, unbelievable their efforts and, you know, what they were able to do to at least salvage a point from this match. But I think we also, it's not time to panic yet, but we need to come to terms with the fact that as it stands, we are not good enough to do anything in the playoffs. We look like we're going to be a one-and-done team, not a top-four team, and that's just not in line with what this team's expectations were this season. So it's very early, but let's let's get things moving in the right direction now. You know, I, I thought your comment on Twitter after the game was was really spot on, Dominic. Your you know your comment was you know with this team the sky is the limit, you know. But right now we're not looking like a f- top four Western Conference team, and and I totally agree with you on that comment. You know, we have the talent, we have the players that can just really make this club, you know, something spectacular. But to see ourselves. You know, having to come from behind here in this match, we had to come from behind, you know, in another match to, to, to pull out a draw. You know, we're, you know, we're taking a, you know, a lackluster one nothing win in, in L.A. a couple of weeks ago. You know, it just you can you can kind of see the pieces were have kind of dominoed here a little bit these last couple of weeks. And it makes it look like we're not you know, the team that we need to be, you know, I guess the question should maybe become, do we start looking at making, you know, some roster, not, not necessarily roster additions or roster subtractions, you know, per se, but, you know, should we start seeing some different players getting the chance and getting into playing, getting in some playing time to really see, you know, who really is going to be the fit on this, on this club. I, I think I think a change would be good. I think that's something that you know maybe maybe we'll we will see you know some players that can step up and and you know bring a little bit of different style of play. But it's I think Carterone is also very comfortable with this starting eleven that he's been putting out consistently. But I mean it. I think last night we kind of saw that maybe some of the guys are are winded from playing so long. Or so many matches, and maybe maybe we need to see some rotation. So it's it's something that I think we will see eventually, but I don't know I don't know when that'll be. Well, hopefully sooner than later, right? <laughs> yeah, that is, that is yeah, correct. We hope so. <laughs> well, I think unless you guys have anything to add about this match, we should probably get into previewing next week's opponent. Yeah. Fresno box. Yeah, let's let's preview Fresno. Obviously, the the big thing with Fresno is they are playing a game tonight. Uh, as we tape this on Sunday afternoon, they will be playing a Sunday night game against uh, San Antonio at home. So that'll be definitely a a key match to watch here. Uh, if you're so inclined to go back with you know with with ESPN Plus subscription and have the chance to watch. Um, but uh, but it definitely a, a huge match in, in the fact that, you know, Fresno with a win could move up into the top four in the standings. Uh, San Antonio obviously needs it for, for getting themselves back into the season pretty much. I mean, if they lose this game tonight, you know, they, they could be really looking at, at being in trouble as they, 
they hit the you know the the quarter pole pretty much of this season. Um, players to watch for for Fresno, uh, former uh, OK, OKC Energy uh, midfielder Juan Pablo Caffa is definitely one of the guys to watch there. Uh, he's tied for the team leading goals uh, with Ronnie Ar- Argueta and Jamal Johnson. Uh, they each have two goals apiece. Um, Kyle Kyle Rainish is is in goal. He has made uh, all six appearances for the club this year. Uh, probably will make his seventh tonight as they as they play San Antonio. Uh, another player to watch: Christian Cheney, uh, who is who's played five matches and has ten shots on goal, leads the team. So, you know, uh, Frankie Allop put together a, a fairly good squad over there. Um, definitely, you know, he he knows his game. I mean. You know, we, we saw that when he was here, you know, with, with Phoenix Rising. So um, he definitely has gathered the right amount of talent to, uh, to get Fresno off on the right foot so far, you know, as, as the season has started for them. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. five matches unbeaten now for Fresno. A um, couple wins in there. So I don't think we should expect an easy win in this match. No, I don't. I don't think so either. I think this this will be. I mean, either. I think we match up better against them than we did against Swope, but I also think that. I mean, we've seen they have some quality players. Juan Pablo Caffa, he's scored against Phoenix in the past with Tulsa, and I think, you know, if if they are able to get a set piece opportunity, they could really really put some danger. So I think that we need to be. We need to start off on the hot, on the right foot and maybe uh, maybe score early on, and I think this match, this match we could possibly get a win. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, a, a point in the season here now that that after this week, you know, a big stretch of matches comes along. So, uh, in, in a short amount of time, so I think definitely the key is getting out on the front foot early. Um, you know, I think if we can get out on the front foot early, get a quick goal, maybe get a quick second, you know, give gives us a chance to, to settle into our game finally for once. And then, you know, maybe that's an opportunity where, you know, you get some players that, that you know, that haven't really played a lot. You know, you could get them a, a 20 or 30 minute stretch, you know, towards the end of this match. I think that would be the perfect opportunity to get them introduced into the stretch of games coming up. Yeah, it should be a fun one, um, but it, it, it's a match that we really want to see a win from. I not must win, but you want to see an improved performance. Three, yeah, totally. three yeah, I totally agree. An improved performance is definitely the guys a shot of fresh air. <laughs> yes, I agreed completely. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. And it'll be fun to see how Fresno performs against San Antonio because that might give us what uh, a glimpse of what to expect in six days. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to use ESPN Plus to check that out tonight. You know, it's I think it's it's awesome that we can watch it so easily on ESPN Plus, and it gives us a great opportunity to see what our upcoming coming opponent, you know, how they how they fare against a team that San Antonio. I think they've. 
they've underperformed maybe this season, but they, we know, you know, they're a pretty solid team. I don't think they've changed uh, too much from last season. I think they'll eventually start getting some wins. Yep. And on that note, um, are we good to go to USL scores? Yeah, let's go to some USL scores. Um, uh, some Wednesday mat, some Wednesday matches, uh, you know, of importance in the West. Fresno got a two-two draw against Tulsa. Portland got a three-two win over Rio Grande Valley, and Sacramento got a two-one win at home against Colorado Springs, which sprung them into first place in into the Western Conference standings, which we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, a couple of matches of note from yesterday. Uh, Interconference game between Tampa Bay and and Real Monarchs, two of the top teams in the league, uh, meeting each other in Tampa Bay, and Tampa coming away with a two nothing victory. I'm not too surprised, but then again, you know it is early in the season for for Real Monarchs, you know, and and, and they really hadn't faced a lot of, you know, before they faced us, you know, I, they really hadn't faced a lot of tough challenges. So I'm not too surprised by this result. You guys either. No, no, I'm not surprised by it. I think I think Tampa's a really good team. I think they're probably them and Louisville are the top teams in the East. So, you know, to travel to Tampa for that match, you know, that could be difficult itself. Um it's I think it's good for Phoenix. It allows us, you know, we're only down by one point on Monarch, so it allows us to to stay right behind them in the standing. So uh, I think overall is probably a good result for everybody except the Monarchs. Yeah, it just, I just I don't love the uh, tendency of some Eastern Conference fans to say, oh, this result means that the Eastern Conference is so much better than the West. Must be nice beating up on all these bad teams in the West. Let's use this one match to make uh, rash decisions. Um, but, you know, people are going to say things regardless. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and, and you gotta think too. That's a tough. That's a tough road trip to take if if you're Real Monarchs when you're used to, you know, only traveling, you know, within a time zone of each, you know, uh, of yourself either, you know, in either direction, you know. And now you've got to travel, you know, three hours difference across to an Eastern time zone and try to get yourself accustomed to, to that time. You know, I it really doesn't work that well. And I think you're gonna see that may be playing to effect in, in a game you'll see this afternoon if you decide, if you choose to watch on ESPN Plus as well. Uh, LA Galaxy 2 and uh, New York Red Bulls 2 are, are playing against each other uh, tonight at the StubHub Center. So, you know, I, I, I think you may see the, the alternate effect in the other direction maybe here. You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of these, these interconference games, but I guess you have to – you had to intersperse a couple of them you know, to, to, to make the schedule work. So, you know, you just hope that, that some of these uh, matches don't tend to affect the outcome of, of where teams stand in the conference at the end of the year. That's kind of, that's the only thing you hope for. I don't mind them too much. Um, the only thing that's kind of frustrating, again, it's just like you see certain people online say that the Eastern Conference is miles ahead of the Western Conference when really the data doesn't back that up. Last year, uh, I think there were six of these interleague matches, and the Eastern Conference won three, the Western Conference won three, and there were six goals scored by teams in each conference. So, um, you know, 
now now we're gonna have to listen to that but you know it's just a mild inconvenience i guess and I, i'm a little salty we didn't get to play one of those to be perfectly honest Yeah, it would have been cool to see to see one of those. I think it'd be cool to see an Eastern Conference team come to come to Phoenix rather than see us have to go on the road. But yeah, yeah, you're right there. Yeah. Well, the other uh, interesting result that kind of caught our eye from from Saturday night, uh, Reno picks up its first win of the season, a two-one victory on the road uh, at Portland Timbers. Two, a uh, couple of late goals from Reno in, in the final 15 minutes uh, gets them their first win of the season and obviously you know early in the season it's a very critical win for them uh as it it you know kind of hopes to bolster their season much like last year's win you know against phoenix rising early in the season they use that to kind of springboard you know into into a, a nice run and maybe they'll use this win again you know over timbers too as a springboard you know to to get them going again this season Yeah, two goals in the last 15 minutes here. Um, and really, it looked like a continuation of narratives, like Timbers 2 taking the next step, developing as a real playoff contender, and Reno just not having it. Um, so pretty surprising to see Reno come up with two big goals the last 15 minutes. Will it continue, or was it just a match against the two side? We're, we're still going to find out. Yeah, that's that's a good point, Dominic. I mean, it, I think that it, it really could go either way. Um, we'll we'll kind of see where it goes from there. But I do think Portland has improved a lot since last season. But you know, maybe this is maybe this was the win that Reno needed to get their season started. So we'll see. And with that, we will go into the current standings. Obviously, with with two. Uh, Three teams in the Western Conference still out as this Sunday uh, afternoon as we tape this. Uh, standings at the moment sit like this. Sacramento Republic is now on top, uh, 14 points off of six matches, 4-0-2 uh, record for them. So, I mean, it's good to see that, that they've kind of started to find their ground a little bit in the standings. Uh, Orange County finds himself in second, uh, 13 points off of six matches. Real Monarch sits in third with 12 points on five matches. Fourth place, Phoenix Rising, uh, 11 points on six matches. With a, They hold the goal differential over both Swope Park Rangers and St. Louis FC, who sit fifth and sixth at 11 points. Uh, Phoenix Rising with a plus four goal differential. Swope Park with a plus three. St. Louis with a plus two goal differential. Then you get to seventh place, Colorado Springs Switchbacks. 10 points off of eight matches. Now, here we go again with Colorado Springs playing this early boatload of matches, which may come back to haunt them in the end again, like just like it did last year. Uh, they've been on a stretch here the last five last five matches, 2-2-1, two, two, and one, you know, for seven points out of their 10. You know, a uh, rough start then, you know, only getting three points out of their first three matches. Then you come to 8th place, Timbers 2 holds the final playoff spot at the moment, uh, 10 points off of 7 matches. Then you get to ninth place, Fresno, 9 points on 6 matches. Las Vegas Lights FC, 10th, 8 points off of 4 matches. 11th is Seattle Sounders 2, 7 points in 7 matches. Then you get to 12th, San Antonio FC, 
five points out of five matches. So obviously tonight's match with Fresno, a very key match for San Antonio. 13th is Reno FC with the win gets them to four points now on five matches. 14th place is Oklahoma City Energy FC with three points off of six matches, losing their last five in a row now. Uh, Rio Grande Valley is in 15th place, two points off of five matches. Tulsa Roughnecks sits 16th, two points off of five matches. And rounding out the standings in the West, LA Galaxy 2 with two points off of six matches. All the teams at the bottom have, have lost at least three out of their last five matches. Um, Rio Grande Valley, Tulsa, and, and LA Galaxy 2 uh, both earning a pair of draws within their, their group of matches. The interesting one there, Oklahoma City Energy FC. Um, obviously five losses in their last five games, starting with the 4-1 loss on the 24th of March against Phoenix Rising. Then they lost 1-0 to Orange County, lose 2-1 to Fresno, lose 3-0 to Portland Timbers 2, and and Saturday night lost uh, 1-0 to St. Louis. Definitely a surprise to see Oklahoma Energy sitting at the bottom half of the standings. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, I, I think I want to say in the preseason preview when we were talking about playoffs, I think I had them in eighth or ninth. So, yeah, to, to have them be losing five straight early on in the season, you know, that's a, a really tough run of form for them. And yeah, I kind of don't think they'll be able to find their way uh, way out of it this year. Well, we'll find out. Again, the season is still young, but a really tough start for them. Um, let's see what else we got. We do have an upcoming interview with uh, Joe Farrell. That is uh, something that I did last Tuesday, uh, and Joe was great. We, we talked about you know, what it was like growing up in Philadelphia, his time in college at LaSalle playing for his father, what it was like starting his career in Rochester and how he's enjoyed Phoenix so far. Uh, there are a couple other little things in there too. I don't want to give too much away, but that should be a very fun interview. So without further ado, here's the interview with Joe Farrell. This is Dominic Kearns with the Rising is One podcast and I'm here with a special guest, Joe Farrell. How are you doing, Joe? Doing well, doing well. Just got done training for the morning. So. It's only been a couple months here. What has your experience been like so far? Uh, I'm loving it. Um, the facilities, the organization, everything is really top class, and they, they make it easy for the players to to, very, to focus very, very intently on their play and, and, and playing football. So, I mean, compare these facilities maybe to what it was like playing in Rochester your first couple seasons. So I'm very thankful to, to have played two years professionally in Rochester already. Um, it was a great experience, uh, but we were on turf, um, and it, it was an organization that was, was fighting to stay alive at the time. As you can tell now, they're, they're out of the USL for at least a year. Um, so we didn't have all the same perks that, that we have here, um, such, as, such as the cryotherapy sessions that we have here. We have food after each training uh, and it just makes it easy for the players to, to really focus on their job. So take us through what 
you had to experience, wasn't it around December 2017 when it was announced they wouldn't be returning? What was your life like at that moment? So for me, I was a free agent this offseason. Uh, so I played two years in Rochester and my contract was up. So I had, uh, if, if Rochester made a contract offer, I would have had the chance to think about it and, and, and possibly sign back. But um, I actually was offered by Phoenix before Rochester actually declared that they were taking a year off. So I was, I was already set on coming out here and, and excited for the journey. And you talked about some of the perks here. Um, I have to figure another part of that was finally getting to go out west. Yeah, yeah, that's something that, that I've been looking forward to doing. Um, so I grew up in Bluebell, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. Went to LaSalle University in Philadelphia, and then from there played two years in Rochester. So I've been in the, the northeast part of the country a ton, and the east coast a ton. Um, Coming out west was, was something that I was interested in. Um, it's a new challenge. Uh, so, so I wanted to put myself in places where I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable at first um, to, to see if I can adapt and become a better player that way. What was the youth soccer scene like back east? Uh, it was pretty competitive. Um, so there was a bunch of teams in the, in the, the tri-state area of Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York that were very, very high class and um, so I grew up, I played, it was right around the time when they were just starting academies, um, so I was playing club for, for my club PSC Copa in Philadelphia, um, but I was also training with the Philadelphia Union Academy because um, at that point you didn't have to declare one academy or another, you could do both. Um, so I grew up playing there, and then uh, I actually signed and played college soccer for my dad at LaSalle University. Um, he coached there for 30 plus years, and um, my last four years were his last four years. Oh, so wow. it was pretty cool, yeah. So uh, did you ever even consider going anywhere else for school? I did, I did. So um, at the beginning of the recruiting process, um, when I was probably a junior in high school, my dad kind of, he sat me down and, and told me that uh, he'd be very, very happy to have me come to LaSalle and play for him, but he wanted me to find what I wanted and what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. Um, so I took a few official visits elsewhere. Um, I visited ODU, I visited American, um, but my heart stayed close to Philly and, and with my family, so I went to LaSalle. Growing up in a soccer household, because your dad was coaching LaSalle from the day you were born, were there ever a lot of pressures to succeed? or Not to succeed, not to, succeed um, to have fun, I guess. Uh, my dad, so I, growing up I played three sports pretty much my whole life, um, and I'm actually the youngest of four siblings, um, and they all experimented with sports as well, but just, we all had the most fun playing soccer, um, got the most joy out of it, so our, my parents were very, very open to finding whatever we wanted to do as children, um, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, so, we all, so... I'm the youngest of the four of my four siblings, as I mentioned, and it turned out that all four of us ended up playing Division One college soccer, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, I'm the only one that has moved on and made a, a career out of it, um, 
but it's it's awesome. It's a pretty we have a pretty tight knit family, so I see them even out on the West Coast. Um, they've all come to visit me already to I guess to get out of the Philly winter um, weather. But <laughs> yeah, it's really stayed cold there for a while mm -hmm. this year. Yeah. Um, so I know it's a tough decision for players whether to go to college for four years or whether to just go straight to the pros. Did you ever wrestle with that or even think about leaving college early? So for me, um, for me, four years of college was, was a great decision. Uh, coming out of high school, I wasn't the highest recruit. Um, I was getting looked at by multiple colleges and multiple D1 universities, but there was no real look for me to go right into the pro ranks. Um, and through college, I, I got I got recognition for my play all four years, um, and I, I was kind of still talked about a little bit, but the the pro aspect of it wasn't as high. Um, in college, I actually switched over from playing at the youth level. I played with the Philadelphia Union Academy, and then at the college level, I switched over and played with the New York Red Bull Under Twenty Three program. Uh, so I played there. We won an NPSL national championship and lost in the PDL final, national final. Um, so I, I was in a bunch of pro organizations, but I wasn't. I wasn't invited to the MLS Combine. I wasn't invited to to much. But um, I, I got a look in Rochester and just made the most of it. Yeah. And did you did you play with any players in that U23 academy that are now on the Red Bulls roster? Yeah. Um, so players, Sean Davis, Alex Mule, uh, Derek Etienne, um, they all start and play pretty high uh, minutes uh, for the Red Bulls. Um, but there was a bunch of good players that, that were on that team and, and didn't necessarily get their chance to, to play at the pro ranks, even though they were very, very skilled and very good soccer players that just they never got their chance, which is... Yeah, sometimes the uh, the preparation needs to meet the opportunity, right? Exactly, exactly. So, take us through that opportunity. How did the opportunity to play for Rochester come across? So, um, I had two contract offers uh, my senior year of college, and so I went to like a, in the in the winter time of my senior year, uh, I went to a, uh, just a combine like a. a pay your way combine. So I went to that where I had to pay to fly down there. I had to pay for my, my jersey and all that. But I got looked at by a bunch of USL teams and a bunch of MLS teams. From there, I actually got invited to Rochester's individual combine. Um, so I got an offer from Rochester after that. Um, and I also had an offer from Harrisburg City, uh, which is now Penn FC. Uh, but my senior year of college, Rochester actually, that was the year Rochester won the USL. So I wanted to join a winning franchise and get the, the winning mentality right. So I signed with Rochester and um, my rookie year, I actually, my opportunity came because the returning defender of the year for the Rhinos who won, was a first team all-leaguer um, and won the championship, actually decided to retire. Um, so I stepped right in as my, my rookie year as a starter, um, kind of unexpectedly, and I just never really looked back. Uh, I played about 60 games in my two years in Rochester. Uh, so just like any other job, you need to, to get things on your resume to keep on moving. So that's what I did. 
And what was it like playing with Bob Lilly, who's been a long-time USL coach, great defensive mind? It was good. Um, I learned a lot in my two years, and I definitely got much better um, tactically, uh, I would say. Um, and being a defender for that team, it, it made my life pretty easy. Um, we would, the practices would be very strenuous on the defenders um, mentally because Bob Lilly is very certain with, with what he wants and, and where he needs his guys, but uh, his methodology works and it's proven. So if you just are able to listen to what he's saying and, and take it all in, uh, the team will be successful and the individuals will be successful. And uh, I think we covered... So you were, you were a Rookie of the Year nominee in 2016, right? I was, yes. Um, what, I mean, did you really foresee that kind of success right away? I did not. So as I, as I mentioned, I signed my contract with Rochester and I thought I was going to be the third center back. So I thought I was going to have to practice hard every day to earn just a little bit of time. Um, I had to practice hard no matter what. You always had to practice hard, but it turned out that I was put right into a starting role. Um, and as I mentioned, I, I scored an early goal in my, my season, my rookie year, and kind of never, never really looked back. And, uh, you know, moving to your time with Phoenix, there's been similar uh, competition for those defensive starting spots. Do you bring that same mentality, always competing hard in practice? Yeah. Um, our team this year in Phoenix um, is competitive throughout all 22 or 24 players, whatever we have, um, are fighting for the role and have a deserved chance to, to get on the pitch at some point. Um, so practice every day is, is very intense and, and I believe everyone gets better because of it. Um, also our preseason we played some, some very high competition so uh, I, I think with every week I think we're getting stronger as a team and, and I think everyone is individually improving as well week to week. Take us through one of the highlights of preseason. You guys are playing in Quito against LDU Quito. Last 10 minutes of the match, down by a goal, and a corner kick comes in, and you just tie the game up with a perfect header. What was that feeling like? Oh, uh, for me, I still get the chills thinking about it, I actually do. Um, <laughs> uh, it's one of the coolest moments in my life, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I was kind of frustrated because um, we, we conceded to go down 2-0, and um, on that play, I thought I could have done a little bit better to, to stop it, uh, but it happened. They scored. Um, then Diddy scored his free kick to make it 2-1, so I just wanted one chance in the box to, to get my head on it, get my foot on it, or just cause some havoc. Um, we had a few corners, but uh, I think it was the 82nd minute or so, uh, Colin whipped in a great corner. Um, I kind of I shed my man a little bit, elevated, and just focused on heading it down, and I, I put it in the back of the net and got to celebrate with the team. Is that your trademark goal of sorts, getting on a set piece or a corner pick and just getting that header? Yeah, so in my... Two years professionally in Rochester, I, ha I had a total of seven goals, and I think five of them might have been with my head. Um, so I like, I, I'm a defender, but I, I love scoring as well. So that's, that's where I get some, uh, some joy. I know the attackers love scoring, but as a defender, I, I enjoy it as well. 
Do you ever think about goal celebrations or uh, you just have to do it spur of the moment? Oh, it, it's all very organic. Um, in the Quito one, uh, Didier was actually the first person off the bench who I saw celebrating. So I, uh, I had to pull out the Didier Drogba celebration with the little airplane mode yeah. to the knee slide. Um, yeah, so seeing Didier and, and getting to celebrate with him was absolutely one of the coolest moments of my life and something that I'll never forget. And uh, I know it's because there's so much competition, there hasn't been a chance for you to play in the regular season so far. Do you see that changing pretty soon? It looks like there are going to be a lot of matches coming up in May. Yeah, um, so we'll have a lot of matches. Um, and for me, I just gotta, I'm just got i going to just keep my head up and keep plugging away in practice, uh, keep putting my, my best foot forward and just keep striving. Uh, as I mentioned, the team's very competitive and, and we're winning. So it's going to be tough for me to get in, but I'm happy. Um, I think I'm getting better, and I think the team's getting better, so that's all I can really ask for. You seem like a pretty humble guy, but uh, it could be difficult to be humble in a situation like this, coming from being an everyday starter for a playoff team. Uh, but how do you stay humble in this type of situation? Uh, I think it's just the the situation that I, I, I grew up in. My parents always told me to... to be humble, to, to put others first, to put the team first before my success. Um, and in that, I'll get my success. Um, so, so with team success, everyone, all the individuals of, of the team will be successful as well. So I just got to keep my head up and uh, keep the, the right mentality and stay positive. Um, and I believe I, I'll get my chance at some point and I'll prove all that I got. Um, turning things to a lighter note, so you talk about success and team success. You're a big Philly guy. What was it like seeing the Eagles get their first Super Bowl championship? I was losing my mind. Um, so that was actually the first week I was out here. The next weekend we won the Super Bowl. So I was watching the game with some of the teammates. Um, didn't really know them yet. They didn't really get to feel me out yet. I didn't really get to feel them out yet. And we were at a restaurant and watching the game. And every time the Eagles would score, I would stand up on my chair and do the E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles chant. So I was getting some strange looks from my teammates, from people in the restaurant, but I did not care. I was in the moment and I was, I was right there, excited as ever. Do you know a lot of friends back from Philly that were celebrating oh, in, yes. in the city uh, afterwards? Yeah, so I had serious FOMO watching our city of Philadelphia I nearly burned to the ground. Um, but <laughs> um, it, it, was, it was quite the scene, I'm told, um, and I wish I could have been there, but I loved where I'm at, and being out here and training with these guys, there's, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Did you know anyone that was climbing the poles? <laughs> uh, so most of my friends were on Broad Street. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure they were getting, causing some havoc, but I don't know if any of them were the pole climbers or not. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so they were there the night after the the night of the Super Bowl. They went out, I know, um, and then just about all my friends were out at the the parade as well, the championship parade. So I saw a bunch of awesome Snapchats, Instagrams of it, and kind of kind of lived through my friends on that one. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've seen your Twitter lately. It seems like you're a big process truster. Huge Sixers fan as well. Um, trust, trust in the process. We, uh, we, we lost the game last night to the Heat, but I think that will humble us out. Um, we were on a 16-game winning streak going into the playoffs. One game one to make it 17, I believe. Uh, and then we lost, but I, I think it was a good good experience. It would humble us out. Um, we get Joel Embiid back soon. Uh, he's been out the last ten games or so. Um, but I, I have serious serious trust in the process um, for the Sixers and for me as well. So that that actually answered the question before I was even going to ask it. Do you take that trust the process mantra to all parts of life? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a good mentality and. And for the question you asked just about two, three minutes ago, and, and how do I stay positive, it's, it's that mentality. I just keep telling myself, trust the process, and, and, and things will work out. And uh, this will be one of the last questions. Very self-serving. So I went to another A-10 school, Fordham, so you guys played each other a few times. Uh, what were some of your favorite places to travel in college and least favorite in the A-10? Um, within the A-10? Uh... I hate to throw a uh, school under the bus, but St. Bonnie's was tough to travel to. <laughs> in upstate, upstate, upstate New York, uh, pretty cold every time we went there, uh, and we would we would typically bus it, so it wasn't the best trip. Um, places that I did enjoy going in the A10 were uh, VCU. Uh, Charlotte was in my first two years, um, so the warmer grass fields. They were, they were beautiful campuses, um, but we also had the chance to travel to, to Cali one year um, and do a couple trips. We did Florida another year, so so we moved about uh, moved about a bit. So. So you're saying you didn't love playing on turf at Fordham <laughs> with a multi-purpose baseball field? <laughs> yeah, um, Fordham's turf and their stadium, it was it was it was all right. It was probably pretty similar to LaSalle's. Uh, uh, facilities, um, but it was it it, it definitely um, made me stronger. I would say playing in the A ten, it was a pretty physical league, and and every team was very competitive in that sense. Um, but yeah, any final thoughts? Anything you want the fans to know about you? Any TV shows you're really into? Something like that. Um, Huge Netflix guy, and I'd actually ask the fans if I if I can get some show recommendations because I'm kind of stuck right now. I've seen just about everything. I feel like, um, but if anyone has any hidden gems that I, I need to have tune you checked in. out Atlanta yet? Atlanta is that I haven't. No, is that that's on uh, it's HBO or it's on FX. FX. Yeah, I'll have to. Yeah, no, I I I know some of my friends have said that. I just don't think it's on Netflix. I'll, I'll have to find a way to find it. Yeah, it's, it's just on Netflix. Yeah. Sorry, this is a bad podcast right here. I need the advice. Um, I can give you some more off air. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a ton of time either. I'm Fair still in law school. So. Yeah. Um, is that it then? Anything yeah. else? No, that's, that's about it for me. Where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, find me. My Twitter handle is Pharrellson uh, with a PH. Um, my Instagram is Joe Farrell on a fifteen underscore. Uh, so send some requests and I'll follow back. Oh, one last question: How are you going to deal with this summer heat? Um, 
I, I feel like it's going to be all right because at the moment we're kind of easing into it. The first month I was here, it was constantly 70, 75. This, this month it's kind of 80, 85. So as long as it keeps going by by five or ten each month, I think I could ease my way into it, but I'm still, I'm still a little nervous for the, the dead of summer. Yeah, it gets up to 110 every day for a couple months. Uh-huh. Go to the pool often, <laughs> stay hydrated, yeah. and don't hike camelback. Yeah, yeah. Then you'll be all right. That sounds all right. <laughs> all right, thanks for your time. Yeah, absolutely. And we hope you enjoyed that interview with Joe Farrell. Um, great stuff, as always. Uh, what a guy. I mean, I love that he trusts the process and he stays humble, um, being surrounded by so much talent because he came from Rochester and was such a big player over there. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on Joe Farrell and what he had to say? Well, you know, you know we, we saw Joe in the preseason and we, we saw you know him working hard and the efforts that he put in, you know, the great goal that he had, you know, over in Ecuador to, to tie that match up in the preseason. And, you know, it's a shame that, that, that he hasn't seen the, the field yet, but obviously I think coming up, you know, you will see him uh, get a, get a few games in here, especially you know when it comes to you know the run of games with open cups and with midweek matches. I think you're definitely going to get an opportunity to see him really soon. You know, but for him to be so humble and 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 to to you know know you know he knows where he sits, but you know also knows that he needs to push himself to 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 be a you know a better player, and and that's great to hear. You know. You know, a class man overall, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's great to see him. You know, he's he sees his role in the team, and you know, he wants to do everything he can to be there for the team. And I'm sure when he is called upon, he'll be able to step right in, and uh, it'll be a seamless transition. You know, we saw it in Ecuador. You know, he's also got some goal scoring capabilities. So I think I'm very excited to see him get on the field and. And like you said, Jeff, I think we'll see him out there pretty soon with these uh, these matches that we have coming up. And now let's move on to our supporters section questions before we get to our final thoughts. Uh, so far, we have just one supporters section question, and it comes from N. Perrier 12. He says, I think we haven't truly replaced Rooney yet with another player that could make things happen in the midfield like he could. Do you think the addition of a proper number 10, like Rooney, would be the missing link in attack for us? But OC's football right now is what we should go for. Yeah, I tend to agree with that comment. I mean, you know, Luke, when we, when Luke was there in the middle of the park, he was always the guy that was able to distribute, uh, you know, in the proper directions. And I don't know that Gladson Awako has, you know, because that seems to be the guy that is that is playing that role right now. Um, you know, I know he's wearing the number ten shirt, but you know, when you think about it, the way that things are set up on the on the pitch, it seems like that's that's you know the person that he he would be portraying, so to speak. But you made an interesting comment earlier, and I'll let you expand on it further, Kyle. Um, the way our play seems to be setting up right now, you know, starting from the outside in. I mean, I'll, I'll let you build on that further. 
Well, I, I think it's because we haven't really replaced a Rooney type player, and and yeah, I mean Awako, you know, he's had good passes, but I think maybe his his distribution at times maybe hasn't been the best, and so it's it's kind of forced us to play from the wings and cross balls in, and and while we've been able to get good quality goals from that, I think it's it's something that other teams can defend against. And yeah, I, I mean, it's, I think it's kind of preventing us from being able to play as direct as we would like. Um, but you know, I mean, maybe in, in addition, we'll, we'll change that. I, but I don't, I don't know if we'll add anyone, honestly, I think, I think we need to look to our squad depth first before we try to add another player to the roster. I'm a hundred percent with you, Kyle. Um, and it's possible we just have to adapt and score goals despite not having a true number 10. I mean, we scored last night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and they were, they were, you know, balls coming out from wide and in and, and, you know, we've shown we can do that. So if, if we can score from those, you know, we'll take those, but I think it's, we need to be more diverse also, you know, we need to find multiple ways to score goals and and having a Rooney type influence on the field I think when Drogba's on the field he can kind of fill that role but he's also not we've seen this season he's not going to be able to play 90 minutes every week so we need to find someone who can step in there yeah I was just going to ask you guys you know about uh, Didier Drogba you know you know he he tends to love to sit up top in that 4-2-3-1 formation but would it not be wise you know uh, you know, as his, you know, as this is his last season, you know, you know, and we've started to kind of see him take a little step back as far as his positioning goes. We've we've seen him at times play play in the center of the park. Do you think that maybe he's trying to transition a role, you know, similar to that, to where he, you know, he can be that guy that 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 becomes the distributor of the ball instead of being that guy up top wanting the ball at the end. I think so. I think I think we kind of saw that in that LA game on the road, um, where he was able to score and, and get us that one 0 win. Um, but but it, I mean, we've also seen Drogba hasn't played too much this season. So it, when Drogba is not going to be there, the question is who's who's going to fill in? You know, right now it's a it's a Waco, but we haven't been getting getting the results we would like to see. So I, I don't know if we see a change. It's possible. Yeah, and it's funny, at the beginning of last season, he actually did a lot of distribution on the ball, a lot of passes to set other guys up for goals. So he certainly has that within him. It'll be interesting to see if he plays more of that midfield role more often. Uh, uh, and we don't have the answers right now. Uh, but what, it, as far as like creating an attack out of the midfield, I want to see... Devin Vega and Rigi get more playing time because I think those are the kind of guys that can cut past defenders in the middle of the park. Yeah, I th- I think you're right there. Um, I mean, Rigi showed it all last season. I think it's it's you know it's still early on in the season, but we definitely need to see him get on the field more consistently. And Devin Vega too. I mean, he he showed some great stuff in preseason. So yeah, to see both of them get on in that role even if it's just in the substitute i think it's it's something that we should experiment with because i think it could lead to uh to good results hopefully 
Yeah, I like your I like your call on Vega. I mean, especially like you said, we did see a lot of nice distribution balls from him in the preseason, and he, you know, I think that would be an interesting choice, you know, to maybe give him an opportunity in the center of the park and see what he can do. You know, he may not have the same size that everybody else does, but then again, you know, you're, you're still trying to find that guy to to be that player. And if we don't think Gladsonawako is going to be that guy. You know, and if Didier Drogba is not going to be a guy that's going to be there on a consistent basis, let's try to find that next person who can be that player that can that can play that role. For sure. Yeah, we get absolutely. Did you guys want? I go yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll take a, a stab at the final thought to start. Um, you know, it, it's not a time to panic just yet. You know, obviously, you know, a couple of tough results here the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, but you know, it's not a time to panic yet. We're still sitting top four in the West. We're still okay at the moment. You know, obviously. You know, I think this week becomes a key game, you know, in the fact that, you know, if we really want to start this stretch of games that's really coming up here, you know, through the month of May, you know, let's let's finish April off on a high note. You know, let's let's get three big points, you know, beating Fresno and then we can go into that game, you know, the following Friday against LA Galaxy two and really, you know, start to put the hammer down. You know, because obviously, you know, a lot of games on the road to be played in the month of May. Uh, you know, you're only looking at two home games in the month of May, uh, LA Galaxy and then Sacramento Republic in the middle of the month, and then a lot of travel between not only, you know, games in, games in Oklahoma, then you've got the Open Cup, then you've got two more games towards the end, end of the month. So, you know, obviously, like, like we said, a key stretch games, but, you know, we can start on the right foot by getting three points against Fresno. I think that it goes a long way towards uh, making that stretch a very successful one. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Jeff. I mean, I, it's it's not time to panic. Um, you're absolutely right there. I, I mean, we lost to the number three team in Real Monarchs, who was the Western Conference champion of the regular season last season. And, I mean, they're, they're a great team themselves. And then that draw against Swope, I mean, we could have easily had a loss. So to come back and get a point out of it, I think we're we're doing what we need to do right now. But we need to see improvement as well, especially in these next two games. You know, six points would be huge. As you said, we have a tough road stretch coming up. So to to grab those points that are valuable at home, you know, that's that's what we need to do. So I think we just need to take a you know, a level-headed approach to this Fresno match. They're going to be a good team, whether they win or lose against San Antonio. I think it'll still be a tough match, but I think we have the talent to come out on top. So we'll uh, we'll hope for the best. Yeah, I think uh, uh, talking to you, you know, cooled me up a little bit. I was very frustrated with, with how that match went yesterday. And... Um, I do just feel a little bad about how it went because I think Devontae DeBose, Billy Forbes, and Solomon Asante in part deserved three points. Those three players were just so immense last night. It's a shame we couldn't get them three points. 
and uh, it's a shame that a couple other players couldn't do their part to get those two points. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're in a good spot. It's early in the season, and we have a lot of soccer to play. We're still on the up and up, um, and we hope you guys enjoyed that Joe Farrell interview, too. So, you know, let's just keep the faith and hope that we get three points next weekend. You guys have anything to add? I think that'll be it for the week. No, you got it all. All right. Well, thank you for listening. As always, go rising. Go rising. Go rising. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.